Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, I would love to quickly mention the Exploring Aware Parenting community with Danny and Joss that is starting again on the 25th of September. This beautiful community is a year-long dive into aware parenting, the theory and the practice to help everybody on the journey to feel more connected, to feel part of a group of like-minded parents and to have spaces where you can learn and lean deeply into all the aspects of aware parenting that you love. We have Facebook Lives three a month. We have a Zoom gathering once a month. We have reflections booklets, lots of resources, and a beautiful meditation each month centering around the topic that we're exploring that month. If you'd like to learn more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au forward slash community. Now let's get on with this beautiful interview. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today I am very much looking forward to having this beautiful conversation with Dr. Sophie Brock. Thank you so much, Sophie, for making time to come and talk to us all today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, normally I do an introduction, but it was I was getting tongue-tied on this one, so I'm going to ask Sophie to introduce herself. What, what would you like people to know about you before we start having this conversation? Yeah, thank you for asking. And it's interesting because sometimes I switch between saying I'm a sociologist or a social scientist because sociologist is kind of a, it's also an interesting word to even pronounce. And it's not often not recognized when you say that that's what you do. I often have to explain it. And so, yeah, I would love to kind of position, I suppose, what I, I do. And perhaps that will then lead us into being able to talk about how this is relevant for those of your listeners who are interested about motherhood socially. And so I kind of describe it as if we were to imagine a kind of a natural scientist that walks into a lab and they have their lab coat on and they're going to study a specimen under their microscope. They may have a question that they're seeking to answer, or they may just be led by curiosity about what is here for me to discover and find. And they look through their microscope and they find some things out and then they write about their findings and they share them with with others. And essentially what I'm doing as a social scientist is stepping into the lab, which is our society, our social world, our community, our relationships. And I'm coming to that lab with particular training that enables me to use different theories as like my microscope. So I'm looking at different examples in our culture, at conversations that mothers are having, at reflections about how we describe ourselves and our identity and saying, okay, through the lens of these different theories that I've learned, what is here for me to discover? What is here for me to find about the connections between the way that we live our lives and the way that our broader social world operates. And so that's what my focus has been on in exploring mothers and motherhood to essentially go, okay, here we are as mothers existing within this broader world. How does that world impact us? And how can we also impact and shape that world? I love that description. Perfect. Thank you. That's really, really helpful. And what I'm most looking forward to about this conversation is sharing with listeners who all now most of us understand how hard our life is uh, as parents and how 
poorly our society is set up to support us in this really, really important work of raising the next generation. But what is often not so well understood is the impact on all that of of our society and of the conditioning that we are surrounded by and what that leads us to believe about ourselves and our role. And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving into this. I'd love to start by talking to you about the concept of patriarchal motherhood and the perfect mother myth and how we then internalize that and and how that so often leads us to be exhausted and burnt out and overwhelmed and how hard it is to then parent from that space. Can you explain a little bit to the listeners about about what this is and about where it comes from before we then go on to talk a bit more about how it affects us and, and what we can do about it? Yeah, sure. Well, in the same way as I kind of just used an analogy or a descriptor to explain what I do as a social scientist, I'm going to use another analogy to answer your question because what we're talking about here are things that we can't necessarily tangibly see around us. And that can sometimes make them invisible. It often does. And that's why a lot of the time this can be really new information for us to hear about for the first time, especially if you've not been trained in social science in any way. And so the way that I describe patriarchal motherhood, and that's a term um, that comes from a long line of maternal scholars, Uh, Adrienne Rich in her book Of Woman Born in 1979 was the first to really name and identify the patriarchal institution of motherhood and made a distinction between the institution, which I'll explain more, but that's the social structure and the individual lived experience of the mother. So she said, we're talking about actually two different things how we exist in our society and how that shapes our motherhood and then how we mother and who we are as mothers. And there have been others such as Sarah Ruddick who extends on this and Professor Andrea O'Reilly created the field of motherhood studies and talks about this as well. But to make it really clear for, for listeners to understand what we're actually talking about here, I use the analogy of a fish tank. And so if we all were to imagine a round glass fish tank, and that represents our society, that's our world. That's the world that we live within. And we are all the fish inside. Now, it's not just mothers who are the fish. All of us as humans are in there swimming around, but we're going to focus for this conversation on mothers uh, in respect to patriarchal motherhood. So we're in the society where the fish inside, we're swimming around, which is the doing of mothering or parenting or caregiving. So we've got the structure, that's motherhood, patriarchal motherhood. We've got the individual fish, that's me, the identity, the social role of mother. And we've got the mothering, the swimming, the doing, the changing, the feeding, the caretaking, the holding of space. And so when we're talking about the experience of being a mother or what it's like to parent in today's society, we can actually be talking about multiple different things at once. And what we gain from being able to see them as separate is we gain some tools to actually talk about the nuance of our experience. And we can say it's really hard existing as a mother within this society, within this tank. But I, as an individual mother, feel incredibly fulfilled and empowered, right? We can feel disempowered by the system we live within and we can feel individually powerful in the way that we mother. And and for those of, of, I imagine your listeners are well-versed in a way of parenting, where parenting can be seen as an example of parenting against patriarchal norms, right? You're parenting in a way that isn't necessarily mainstream. Those rules that are written on the fish tank don't talk about holding space for our children and looking at emotional processing as healthy, right? It's about pull yourself together, you know, get on with it. We have all these kind of 
beliefs about what it means to be a child, right? So that's that's part of this too. So we would imagine a big black texter, we have our fish tank, and then we would go, all right, let's write a bunch of rules on the tank. This is the perfect mother myth. These are the rules, the scripts, the expectations that are embedded in our society. They are things like, as a mother, you should never get angry. You should never feel anger. You should never express anger because you are completely fulfilled by the experience of being a mother. It comes naturally to you. It comes easily to you. You were made to be a mother. You probably fell pregnant easily. You didn't have a struggle in conceiving. We assume that she's married in a heterosexual relationship. The perfect mother on the pedestal in our culture is generally white, able-bodied. She has a career that she is thriving at and successful in, but she also never puts work before her children. She self-cares really well because she knows she needs to look after herself in order to look after everyone else. She has a thriving marriage, incredibly rewarding and close friendships. She's also a perfect daughter-in-law and a wife. She has a kept together and tidy home. She cooks from scratch. She volunteers. She, I could, like, we could spend the whole podcast talking about this, right? But part of that, as I think is relevant for your audience and your work, is that she also has the perfect children. Her children are well behaved. They're polite. They're easy to parent. They are compliant. They fit into the mold of what our society seems to project and expect of child development, which we know based on the science and everything else is really off skew. Um, So we're swimming around in this tank with all these rules that come about through our upbringing, our culture, our TV, advertising, social media, all around us. We're swimming through this water of our culture. We absorb it all. And a lot of the times we don't even know this process has happened to us. We don't even realize we've been socialized into it until we find ourselves depleted, exhausted, feeling not good enough, feeling guilty, feeling like what you do is never enough. Why is this so hard for me? And we take on the blame often. This is how socialization works. We take the blame on individually. And so what I want to bring through sharing this as a theory and through having these conversations is to shift that by having an awareness of this tank and saying, actually, it was never ours to carry. We've been set up for this, but things can also change. Wow. Yeah, I love that explanation. And I think it's so helpful to speak it in words because, as you say, it's so invisible and we're often so unaware of these influences and and how that then impacts our experience. And I love what you're saying about us in aware parenting, parenting against these patriarchal norms and expectations and just all the shoulds that you were listing there. It just, I mean, just listening to you, listing them made me feel so stressed and uncomfortable And this idea, I mean, it's just so much pressure, isn't it? And this Mm -hmm. idea that if you're somehow not achieving any of these things, which are completely unachievable for any of us, it means that there's something wrong with you and that how hard it is to parent in these ways, which are against these norms that are about the well-being of our children and ourselves. But it's so hard to do if we're coming to it from the space of thinking that there's something wrong with us, that we're doing it wrong, that if if our children aren't perfectly behaved, it must be because we failed in some way. Or if we are prioritizing connection with our children and our house is a mess, we're somehow not not doing it right. It's just impossible to live up to that kind of pressure and expectation, isn't it? Yeah, it is impossible. And what's I mean, I think the next piece of this is that 
not only is it impossible, but we've been sold a lie that that's what's best for our children. And so we're kind of sold this narrative that if you, well, we're going to try really hard to be perfect. We may not necessarily use that terminology, but we're going to try really hard because we love our children so deeply that we do anything for them. And if this is what's going to be best for them, then these are the lengths I'm going to go to. And we know now from a whole body of literature, as well as theories around the good enough mother, that actually our children need to be able to see us in our full humanity. And what the perfect mother myth does is it asks us to cut off pieces of our humanity. So we're not doing our children any favours by trying to uphold these standards. Yes, I loved how you described that. I think it's so important that we, when we're trying to raise our children in this way, to be connected with their authentic selves, to be able to show up and express themselves in the fullness of who they are, then we also need to be doing the same thing as mothers. And that requires a lot of unlearning for us, doesn't it? And I wonder if you might like to speak a bit more about how this really devalues the work that we're really doing as mothers and this just complete misconception in our society, this huge load that falls to us and yeah, how we can go about redressing that. It's massive. I mean, this whole structure relies and depends upon the fact that the work we do is invisible. I mean, that's how it continues to function. If we were to think about it and every mother were to stop doing the work she's doing for a day and we didn't do the space holding, we didn't make the lunches, we didn't do the transporting, we didn't book the doctor's appointments, we didn't do the driving around, we stopped we stopped making the food, we stopped checking on our friends, we stopped looking after ourselves. We just we stopped and we said, you know what, I am done with all of it. Right? If we actually did that, our entire society and economy would likely collapse eventually, right? If you think about the value of and and not just mothers, but those who engage in unpaid care work and labor, and not just the physical aspects, but the emotional aspects that is required with that as well. It is the backbone of our society. And we know this as well with some research that has been done on this and the figures differ and it depends when the studies are done, but it's hundreds of billions of dollars, the unpaid work of caregiving is worth. And it's not counted as part of our GDP. It's not counted when you go for your promotion on your CV. It's seen as a gap. We're seen as being on leave when we take maternity leave. We're seen as being on a holiday. If you work part-time, you're seen as doing less than. And we know from a long, a long history now of literature and work on this, mothers work really hard. And a lot of the time, a lot of it is taken for granted and it's invisible. So yeah, part of what we do in, I call it kind of swimming against the the tide of the tank or, or creating cracks in the tank, creating changes in what are the expectations. I think a really key step of that is to value what we do and to name it and to make it visible and to say, actually, here's what I'm carrying and it's worth a lot. It's valuable. It's making a difference. Yeah. And it, I suppose it is just about celebrating ourselves and each other and acknowledging the the hugeness of what we do every day uh, without reward, without any kudos, without any acknowledgement and certainly no financial reward, even though this is probably the most important work for our culture's survival. I loved how you described that. And it's interesting, I'm thinking when you're speaking about, particularly with an aware parenting perspective of the understanding of stress and trauma and the impact that it has on our, our capacity to thrive. And of course, we're so focused in aware parenting on supporting our children to release and heal from stress and trauma through all of the beautiful mechanisms that we have available to us. 
But I'm just really realizing in this conversation yet again how this society that we are living in creates so much stress and trauma for mothers as a result of all of this. And we are so far removed from how we are evolved to live. But how do we then go from having an awareness of this stuff and and how it's impacting us, how it's creating and causing stress and trauma for mothers? How do we go about starting to, to redress some of that? Yeah, it's really difficult. I think that uh, the first step is awareness. And if this is, you know, the first conversation that a listener is engaging with on this topic, then it's just let it simmer for a bit. You know, maybe listen a couple of times, write down some reflections. An exercise you can do is to pretend that an alien has just dropped in from Mars and they say to you, paint the picture of the perfect mother that your culture holds on a pedestal. Like, tell me, what is a perfect mother in your society? Not necessarily for you, but describe to me what others think the perfect mother would be and write out that list. And similar to the things that I just named, start listing them all down and keep going until you've got, you know, 30, 40, 50 things on there and then go through that list. And for each one question, is this something that I've taken on? Is this something that I've absorbed? Do I believe this? Do I judge myself according to this standard? And is it true? Is it something that's part of my values? And I would encourage you to, as you go through that list, put a cross next to the things that you do not believe, you do not take on, that you reject as that being part of the doctrine of your good motherhood, a circle around the things you might want to explore a bit more, like, hmm, I'm not sure. I need to think about that. Is that important to me? Is that evidence-based? Does that align with my other values? And then a tick against the things that are actually really important for you. It may be a good mother is an emo- is emotionally present and available, right? In the perfect mother myth ideology, they would say she's 24-7 emotionally present and available and has endless space and capacity for her children. Okay, we're not going to go that far. We're going to reject that element. But what are the parts that are actually important to me? And through an exercise like this, we can start to distill down what out of this conception and out of all of our ideas about motherhood, what's actually important to me? as a person in my family, for my children? And then what is it that I'm going to start to let go? And then when guilt starts to arise from us, that gives us the opportunity to see if we do need to do any pruning of that list. So guilt arises in response to dropping your child off at daycare, right? And I'm feeling really guilty and overwhelmed and I should be able to do it all, And but I have to go to work and I can't, I can't reduce my hours because we've got the mortgage and blah, 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 blah. And we go, okay, I'm feeling lots of guilt around here. What is this guilt serving for me? Is this guilt tying me back to the rules of patriarchal motherhood that are actually impossible to meet and I don't have much choice and agency here? Is that guilt guard? I talk about this as a model and the guard is employed by the tank, like patriarchal motherhood. Is it berating me? Or is that guilt working on behalf of my values? Is there something here that I could shift? And so, As a kind of starting point, that's where we can begin with. But I would say that it's a process that usually, in my experience, I think it usually requires some sort of relational connection, whether that be with a friend, with a therapist, in a group program. It's hard to do in isolation on your own. Um, And that's why having conversations like this and finding spaces where you can connect with others who want to challenge and critique and explore what a possibility of their motherhood could actually look like in a way that feels much better for them, it can be so valuable. 
Love that process. That sounds really interesting to explore. And I imagine we get lists of 50 things. So much of it then would be really clear to us that that is actually not something that we value at all, that we don't just don't want that to be part of our experience, part of our thought. And I love what you're saying about how hard it is to do this in isolation, because essentially, I mean, that could be the 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 title of the podcast, couldn't it? Because that's the whole point, that motherhood and all the things that we need to do in motherhood are so hard to do in isolation. But I love that distinction that you make when we go into the shoulds or the guilts or the shaming of ourselves. And that process, of course, needs a lot of unpacking almost constantly in motherhood. But that distinction between asking ourselves, is this linking us back to this idea of this patriarchal rules about what motherhood should look like? Or is this actually aligning us with with what we truly value and giving us an invitation to to go back to that because that's just such a so much more constructive isn't it? it it allows us then to really reflect on what we want what we are most desiring of for our experience in motherhood and for our children and then to be acting from that place rather than just acting from this conditioning that that isn't serving anyone and i'd love to ask you then about how some other things that we can do in our parenting. One of the things I'm really interested in is is all the different things that are that get in the way of us showing up as the human that we want to be. And it all starts for us in our own childhood, of course. And usually it's around not being able to show up and be authentically who we are and taking on societal from our parents, from our culture, expectations of who we need to be in order to be loved. But then as mothers, I'm really interested in how that process is reinforced and how we are further disempowered in, in so many of the steps at the beginning of the motherhood process. I'm interested particularly in, in birth and how, I love how you talk about this, about how so many women in our society are giving birth and yet the systems that are around the birthing process are so not conducive to it being uh, something that creates well-being and is helpful and supportive of of mothers right at the beginning of the motherhood journey. What what would you like to say about that? Yeah, look, I mean, birth is is a huge one. I'd I'd take a step back and then answer your question uh, in relation to birth specifically. But when you mentioned that this process begins in our own childhood and then the ways that it uh, manifest in motherhood. That's actually, I have a model called the pyramid of maternal regulation. And essentially, if we were to imagine a triangle, the very bottom layer of that is our childhood conditioning. And this is talking about the model of patriarchal motherhood. That's conditioning into gendered roles around what it means to be a good little girl or a good little boy, right? And we get ex- particular expectations around being quiet or compliant or behaving, whatever that may be. And that then moves into a next layer, which happens around our adolescence, which comes at focusing on the body and the physical appearance of how should I look? You know, we have kind of fat phobia as part of this. We have ableism as part of this. We have trying to not only, we've already learned through our childhood, a particular emotional cutting off of pieces of ourselves, but then even we can apply that to our physical body in never feeling like we fit in or never feeling good enough and that level of self-critique. And then that moves and morphs on and that 
is where also kind of capitalist systems and commercialization can infiltrate us, the sexual objectification of women and girls. And it, and it goes on, right? All of these things I'm talking about are interlinked systems. None of them operate in isolation. But then what happens is we're also fed a, a myth in our or an idealized standard in white patriarchal capitalist society around what it means to be a successful, fully grown human and adult. And for a lot of the time, this narrative includes that you will be partnered and you will have children. That's the path that we can be expected to take. So if you're a woman who can't have children or chooses not to have children, you face particular cultural backlash for that. You cop it because of that in various ways. And so we we are moving towards uh, this ideal that is put on the pedestal. And then as we enter into motherhood, we have almost a dialing up or an amplification of our socialization. And that's with this fish tank model that I'm talking about. Now for birth itself, um, you can look at this as essentially a microcosm of the broader process that is happening and has already happened in our society. And there's plenty of people who talk about this as their kind of prime area of expertise in saying, how is the birthing system? How is the maternity system? essentially a reflection of patriarchal society when we're seeing such high rates of obstetric violence, such high rates of birth trauma, and a cultural narrative that focuses primarily and often only on the health and well-being of the baby and disregards the health and well-being of the mother. And if any concern is raised by the mother or about the mother, a focus is put back on the baby that you should be healthy, you have a live baby, you have a healthy baby. And we're fed a narrative about that. And so Maternity Consumer Network, who's run by Alicia Staines, does great work in this space. There's the birth trauma inquiry happening at the moment in New South Wales that are looking at, looking at this and saying, actually, what is happening to women in the system when it comes to their experience of birth is not okay. It is a form of abuse and it sets them up for their entry into motherhood in a, where they're traumatized. And you're trying to learn how to become a mother while dealing with trauma, while navigating PTSD. And then you're immersed within this new tank of rules around how you are supposed to act and feel. And I mean, no wonder so many mothers are struggling when this is the trajectory that so many of them have been placed on. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it's too hard. It's too hard to even think about sometimes, isn't it? And I love that those words that you were using around like the amplification of pressure and that it is so, so common for women in birth to experience trauma and that that is so invalidated and dismissed time and time again, because as you say, the language is around if you are, if your baby's okay and you're okay, that's all that matters. And yet the impact of having these experiences as women right at the start of our parenting journey where we are traumatized makes it impossible to then do the really important work often of of raising our kids and responding to them in the way that they really need because we're coming from a place of, of trauma so it's just it's just so so hard and i'm really uh, hopeful and optimistic that there are these there is there is this research and there is lots of work going on now and a much more understanding about the impact of birth trauma on mothers as well as on children and and babies but it does make it incredibly difficult, doesn't it? It does. It makes it really difficult. And I think, you know, just for us to be really careful and gentle with ourselves around the standards that we're placing on us and about needing to be 
it will perceiving that we need to be everything for our baby, for our children. I think that at the same time as there's a dismissal of maternal well-being and uh, experiences of trauma in the, the maternity system, uh, there can also be a devaluing and dehumanizing of infants as well, right? This sense that, oh, well, but in, this is what, you know, you are connected with through aware parenting is kind of the the caricature of the baby and babies are all the same and all they do is eat, sleep and change their nappies and that's it. Like, I mean, it's a, it is a form of dehumanizing for both babies, children and mothers. And I think what's also important to kind of highlight here is that the change is possible and that system change is initiated by individual people. What makes up a system? People, policies, decisions, structures. And there are plenty of people in the maternity system. There are midwives who are working within a system that may be toxic and harmful or challenging, but they are working in a way to resist that and support women in a way that is respectful and connected and what a difference that can make. The ways in which someone can experience birth trauma and PTSD and come out of that in an extremely disadvantaged and brutal way. And also that does not mean that she's going to fail to be there emotionally for her baby. Yes, look. At, let's look at the impacts, but let's also look at what possibilities are available and the nuance that exists in our experience. And again, this is why we're not meant to be doing this alone. We need to have a support network around us who is able to hold us and hold our baby. Mm, yes, indeed. Indeed. And I'm just imagining, I mean, there's so much research now that looks at the vital importance of these early experiences and the early years of childhood in terms of shaping children and, and, and supporting them to thrive and supporting their well-being. And I'm just imagining how having these understandings and supporting mothers and having spaces and community to share and to heal and to unpack a lot of this stuff will then mean that the next generation is so much more empowered because, of course, our kids growing up with this connection to their authentic self with this space where they're they're heard and they get to develop strong and effective connections with their mothers and so on means that they're just so much less likely to to take on this cultural conditioning and it means that when they become parents themselves they won't have to unlearn a lot of this stuff in order to be free of it and able to parent from a, a clearer place. But I wonder what you would like to say then about how we can support uh, healing for for parents, not just in the birth process and the post-birth process, but just more generally to to be able to show up and be the parent that we want to be so that we can create this change for our children. Yeah, well, I would say something that, you know, depending on the lens that you receive it, it could sound either pessimistic or optimistic, which is that our children will be impacted by it and we can't protect them from socialization. So a sense that actually there is an inevitability that there's going to be stuff that they carry, but what we can do for them in setting the foundation is giving them the tools, security, the love, the home base, the connection, the relationship to be able to navigate those things. So it's, you know, holding on to the message both for them and us that we don't have to be perfect 
in in the perfect mother myth, the way that it sets up. But we also don't have to be perfect resistors. We don't have to be perfect change makers. We don't have to be perfect healers for the next generation. We don't have to be the perfect cycle breakers. There is only so much that we can do. And it's actually a gift to ourselves and our children to allow ourselves to be as we are. And it depends because sometimes we go through cycles where actually we have the resources and the support, we're able to connect in and have are able to afford a relationship with a really good therapist, for example. We may be able to make a lot of headway. We find a friend that we really connect with, that we share our values, and we are feeling more able and resourced to take on some of this and be more conscious and reflexive of what we can do differently and how we might like to resist certain things that are coming at us and that are coming at our children. And then there are other times where it's like, you know, I'm sure you can relate and others who are listening. It's like you put one foot in the fr- in front of the other and you do the best you can with what you have because things are tough. And we go through cycles and seasons of that. But in terms of uh, what we can do, I suppose, to, to heal is really, I, I guess, part of where my head goes in response to a question like that is being able to have the awareness, which is part of what, you know, everybody who is listening to this is already cultivating, is to have access to information and education and awareness. The next part I think is around that connection piece of finding even one person. I know that in, you know, the aware parenting space and in others, as we talk about listening partnerships and building relationship with, you know, one other person, one other friend who who gets us, who will hear us. And I think embodiment is a big piece of this as well. So coming back to the body and body care and saying that there is actually only so much that we can do and we're still, we're human creatures and coming back to what processing do we need? What is it that we, that is present for us right now? And how do we take care of ourselves so that we're able to and better resourced to support our children and others? But yeah, that's my belief that actually it's coming back to the anchoring in and centering in of the self. And we will be able to then be resourced to support our children. And I think they're often beautiful, brilliant models for us in embodiment, in listening to their inner selves, in saying the things that sometimes are uncomfortable to hear. You know, I think our our children can really also help lead the way for us in some ways, as well as us leading them. Yeah, I love that. It's so true, isn't it? The kids so often they're inviting us to go in and to do the work and the, the parts that we might be just just nudging us in that direction. I love that. I love the sense that imperfection in all of it is, of course, part of it and that that is more than okay and that this sense of enoughness and the importance of resourcing ourselves in this whole process with with self-compassion, with this awareness and information and education about it all, and with this finding connection. And yeah, as you say, it's such an important part of the aware parenting approach to be receiving, listening, to be having spaces where we can go and share all the things that are coming up for us, whether that's what we're thinking or what we're shooting ourselves about, or whether that's the stress or whether it's younger parts of us that are getting touched in that process. But having safe spaces to share it is is absolutely crucial. And of course, if we think back to our origins as humans, we would have evolved living in community where we would have always at any time had access to other people to to share all this with and to reflect with and to to support each other. And I love that idea as well around embodying it and and taking care of ourselves as, as such a crucial part of that process physically as well as emotionally and psychologically. Yeah. Um, I'd love to ask you a little bit more about what is behind 
a lot of this cultural conditioning for motherhood and this i get a sense often that there is this sort of deliberate disempowerment of women in our culture and i wonder if there's anything that you are willing to say about that around why it serves our culture to be dismissing and shaming and guilting and shooting mothers yeah i think on a fundamental level that's you know an answer to that question is about power and intersectionality so looking at different structures in our society and how they've been set up to operate in privileging and servicing and supporting particular groups of people and what I mean by intersectionality is there's ways in which as a mother if you are an Indigenous mother who is 19 and you aren't partnered and you have a baby who has additional needs you are going to have a way way tougher time of it than if you are a mother who is in her mid-30s who is white, married, and middle class. Like how we experience our motherhood and how we experience that tank is hugely shaped by the way that our broader society and culture is set up to either put obstacles in our way or help clear a path. And so I think that, you know, a question about the roots of that of well, where does patriarchy come from? Like this is a kind of a question about like the history of colonialism and a history of racism and of imperialism. And we have to look at a broad history of that. And and I mean, I don't have the answers. I think you need to also talk to an anthropologist, you know, in looking at what, where did this come from? Uh, You know, there's debate about um, a matriarchy, for example, and has that actually existed? What, what has that looked like? What are alternative ways of living? And there are people who are exploring these types of questions of going, okay, well, if not this, then what? And how can we understand more about where we've been to help us situate where we are and where we may like to go? And I don't know. I mean, I'm curious. And as far as I navigated in my own experiences going, okay, well, in the context that I'm within, with the resources I have, with the connections that I have available, where is my room for movement? Where is my capacity for agency? What can I do here? What is available to me? And The work that I referred to earlier with that perfect mother myth list, essentially what we're doing in this conversation, it's about shifting beliefs, right? It's about shifting your your way of seeing yourself and seeing the world. And when we're able to shift that, we're able to move some of those obstacles and some of those blockages that may be in our way. And we open up more space for agency. But we also need to be careful that we're not saying we can just shift our belief system and all of a sudden the structures around us disintegrate. You know, it, it's it's about both and about being able to say, see and explore how we navigate both in our individual lives. So it's probably not a very clear answer to your question as to where all of this comes from. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know the truth of it. It's a complex and contested space. Of course. Yeah. I really appreciate that answer. Thank you. And I just love that sense of of the power at the micro level, each individual mother exploring this and shifting the beliefs and and then bringing in more autonomy and agency and choice into our lives and and the immense difficulty of doing it in this culture that is pushing us in the opposite direction constantly. So yeah, I love that answer. Thank you. I'm aware of the time and I know that you are not having too much time left, but I would love to ask, is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we haven't discussed to share with listeners that you think might be helpful? Yeah, I think just to essentially bring it back to your capacity as an individual and knowing that 
It is not on your shoulders to dismantle patriarchy and heal all future generations of your family. (laughs) (laughs) I think like it's an obvious thing to say, but sometimes we also need to hear it again because it can feel as though the weight of things can be pretty heavy at times. And it's because a lot of the time they are, but what are the ways in which we can actually experience joy and connection and presence and we're able to be here in this moment. And I think that's actually a gift that can come with this work because the more the, the longer that we sit in guilt without using it and the more self-critique we have and the louder our inner critic, that all strips our capacity to be present and be here and really soak up this experience that's available to us. So I think it's about being gentle and compassionate on yourself exploring things further if you're interested in that, giving yourself a break if you feel overloaded with information. Um, and I guess the other thing I would just point to is I have a, I have a free training on my website of this concept, but I'll mention it because I think it resonates with a lot of mothers, which is the anger-guilt trap cycle. So part of what we've spoken about here in what the fish tank of motherhood looks like, what patriarchal motherhood is, it sets us up to feel guilt like we're not doing a good enough job. And how we've been conditioned to respond to that is to try harder, to work more, to try and meet those markers of perfect motherhood. And often what that asks us to do is more self-sacrifice, more martyrdom, fewer boundaries, saying yes when maybe we want to say no, different things that, that come our way that we take on because we feel we're not enough in some way and we need to work harder. And eventually when we feel overwhelmed, overburdened, over loaded. It's too much for us to carry. And what often arises in response is a sense of resentment, frustration, anger, annoyance, injustice, and it can be a simmering away of that. And I think a lot of mothers, we experience a low level simmering of those emotions because that is the result of living in a patriarchal society and being within this model. And so hopefully kind of naming this is helping to raise awareness of it. And what happens if we don't raise awareness of it, if we aren't able to process those feelings, if they don't have space to be heard, we meet a trigger, we explode, we then feel guilty, we then try harder to meet the parameters of perfect motherhood, feel guilt when we can't, and around and around we go. And so I'm hoping that in this conversation that what we can start to do is shift some of those dynamics and break out of that cycle that can often be a result of living within this culture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting, isn't it, that when we are going into that kind of self-judgment, it's so disconnecting. It's so hard to parent from that space. And so really, yeah, it does all come down to that sense of of self-compassion. And I love that idea that to get free of the guilt and the shame and the judgment and so on, we do need to have space and support to be able to process all of those strong, strong emotions that often come up in us when we do develop more awareness of of all of these ideas, all of these thoughts, all of these aspects. I love the word you use, the simmering of, of anger and resentment, because yeah, that is what it feels like. And Yes, I, I really want to also echo that, the need for, for space and support to have places to go and take these, these painful and difficult feelings so that we can come back to this sense of clarity and, and, and solidness for ourselves. And the normalizing too of, of the getting it wrong, which I'm putting in inverted commas for people who are listening, 
And the reality that that is, of course, inevitably going to be true for all of us time and time again in parenthood when we're trying to do it in this culture, which doesn't support us. And to reassure parents again and again that that's okay because we have these beautiful processes to rewind, to repair, to make good. And what I found again and again in parenting is that it's often these moments of rupture and disconnect that are the most powerful drivers of deepening connection with our children. Because when we go in and say, oh, I'm sorry, this is what's going on for me. I'm here to listen to what happened, what that was like for you. I want to reassure you, all of those things. We actually have a deepening in the understanding mutually with ourselves and our children. And, and it just creates more connection. So I love that normalizing that it's always going to have moments where it's really, really hard and that, that that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's beautifully put. Yeah. And, and well supported by the research around rupture and repair as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. So I'd love to ask if you want to share, Sophie, how people can learn more about your work and find find all these beautiful things that you offer in relation to this. Yeah, thank you for asking and for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it and, and your thoughtful questions as well. I really appreciate. Um, people can learn more about my work. I have a podcast, the Good Enough Mother podcast. Um, and on my website, I have a little tab called free resources, and that's where you'll find the one about the anger guilt trap. Um, if you're a professional or someone who works with mothers, I have another free resource about 10 ways patriarchal motherhood impacts mothers. Um, and I run my main certification program, which is essentially training, training you as a practitioner and mother in all of this around the sociology of motherhood and giving you some tools and frameworks to support mothers. So yeah, those are my offerings and I'd love to connect with anyone who's interested. Thank you. I'll put those links. Is that all on your website, that information? And do you share on social media as well? I do. Yeah. I'm on Instagram, mainly Instagram, but also Facebook. Um, so you can come and give me a follow there and yeah, connect further. Great. And the last question that I always ask my guests is what would you love to have known if you could go back to the beginning of your parenting journey with what you now understand deeply to be true what would you love to be able to travel back in a time machine and, and say to that person at the beginning of the process? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, see, interestingly, I knew all of this about patriarchal motherhood before I became a mother. I did all my research before I became a mother. So I would imagine if I hadn't done that, it would be something around that, around the perfect mother myth. But to answer it in relation to my own experience, I became a single mother really unexpectedly and it felt as though everything kind of shattered around the way that I thought things would be and then the way that things were. And I thought that that was going to be a, I thought that things were broken and I was going to have to try and work hard to mend them and that I would always be less than in some way or giving my daughter less than because she didn't have her parents together and that idea of the nuclear family. And so having experienced kind of six years of mothering after that experience and recognition, I would probably say that there's always there's always pieces of gold and wisdom and gifts in things that you find hard and challenging. And be careful about the stories you tell yourself about how things are going to be because sometimes it comes true and, and also you can be wrong. So be really conscious of the stories you tell yourself and, and find the thread that is most empowering for you and your family in that. I love that. Beautiful. What a beautiful message to receive at the beginning of, of the parenting journey when, yeah, we can so often 
I just really struggle with it all. It's it can be so hard. So I love that sense of of trust that mm. we can allow and surrender to whatever life throws at us, get support when it's really hard, and just trust the process and the learnings and the gifts that come out of all of the experiences. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much, Sophie. I've really enjoyed this conversation. There's so much information in there. I think it's going to be one of those episodes to listen to again and again, because I think it's going to keep on giving because you've shared so much. I'm really, really grateful to you for your time and for, for sharing your expertise in such a accessible way for the listeners. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.